Welcome to Odo Did You Know, where we sit down with people from the University of Michigan Otolaryngology Head and Neck Surgery Department and take a deep dive into something about them that you likely didn't know. The goal is to find out more about who we are, what we're passionate about, and what sparks joy. I'm Tara Weaver-Hawley, a host and communication specialist for Odo. On this episode, we sit down with department chair, Dr. Mark Prince, and talk about his experiences collaborating with physicians and care teams from the Kafanachi Teaching Hospital in Kumasi, Ghana. So let's find out. Did you know? Let's start back at the beginning. Can you tell me how you got started going to Ghana and or how you first got involved? You know, in some ways, there's a, a very sort of straightforward, simple answer. But the, the honest truth is it's a little bit more complicated. So the, the simple answer, I guess, would be just an interest in doing something, you know, to help communities and, and patients and providers sort of outside Michigan medicine, you know, and, and some time kind of spent looking for those opportunities. And the Michigan Medicine already had an association with Kafanachi Teaching Hospital, or CATH as they call it, in Kamasi. And so that sort of seemed like a natural place for us to, you know, to expend some energy. And when I say us, I mean, really, Jeff Moyer, and, and, and myself, uh, Jeff has been, uh, you know, a tremendous partner in kind of getting the work that we've been doing in Ghana up and running. The, the more nuanced answer, I think, is probably just related to sort of a genuine desire to be involved in, in global health. And, and by global health, I mean health in our local community, kind of statewide, nationally, but also internationally. And, you know, I'd been fortunate enough to be able to have some experiences in sort of a free clinic locally that we've been involved with called the Hope Clinic. And that stimulated a greater interest really in doing something sort of, you know, in the same way, but but somewhere else. And um, and then the serendipity kind of parts of this whole thing is that there was actually a visiting radiation oncologist from Ghana who I had the chance to meet primarily because of a shared uh, interest in head and neck cancer patients. And, and I met with him, uh, with uh, Dr. Moyer, Jeff Moyer, and we had a breakfast kind of conversation and, um, you know, that provided us, I guess, with sort of further ideas about what we might be able to do and some contacts with the ENT group in CAF. When did you start going? The whole thing started about 10 years ago. So so quite a long time ago. And, and we've been, you know, actively traveling back and forth probably for about eight years. I remembering that COVID, you know, put a created a little gap actually in in our uh, physical visits back and forth to Ghana. And so, um, you know, that's that's many trips, if you think about over that period of time, traveling there typically a couple of times a year, um, and then also hosting uh, individuals from from CAF as well, you know, here. So, you know, there's been quite a bit of back and forth. And as, as things evolved and we made contacts, quite a bit of the work has been done, I would say, remotely, you know, through the phone, through WhatsApp, through email and that kind of thing, which has really been uh, fabulous because it actually allows us to, you know, to continue to kind of work there uh, without actually having to be physically present. How frequently do providers from Ghana come here? Uh, not as often as I would like. And it's it's actually been, a, um, it's a bit of a struggle to bring people here. And, you know, you could imagine, you know, at many levels, there are difficulties. And the first one, which is a similar issue we have actually in traveling to Ghana is, 
you know, people have work that they need to get done where they are. Mm -hmm. And so it's not easy to just kind of pick up and, 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 you know, and go somewhere for a month or a couple of weeks and leave behind that work. So, you know, these individuals have all, are all involved in, in healthcare and have patients and things of their own that they need to care for. So that, that creates a fairly big impediment. Then there's a financial one, no surprise there, right? Again, it's expensive, you know, to travel uh, here, accommodations, you know, et cetera, all of those things kind of, kind of add up and, and, um, unfortunately nobody's fault, but there's there, it is difficult getting support for those individuals to kind of, to travel here. So it's not happening as often as, as we would like to, and certainly not as formally, meaning like there's not a regular structured rotation, mm -hmm. but, you know, of Ghanaians coming and visit here, but we've had in the years when we've been most active, when COVID wasn't, you know, interfering, there was typically somebody traveling here specifically for Odo because there's there's many people travel back and forth from Ghana um, related to the connection Michigan Medicine has, you know, at CAF. But but for Odo, it would typically be one or two people a year, um, many trainees. Uh, but we've also had several faculty. Uh, they've come uh, more often as kind of a group rather than one at a time as well. But um, we'd like to be able to do a lot more. And I think in the future, that would be, you know, an important goal for us to try to achieve. Um, there, and then there's other issues, too, which relate to actually the responsibilities and and the experiences that they can have while they're here. Um, so we in the United States, not just in Michigan, but it's very difficult almost impossible for a fully trained physician. So that would include residents who have finished medical school to, you know, to touch patients, to actually interact with patients uh, in any way. Um, so again, that's, that's not really an impairment to getting people here, but it's an impairment to the type of uh, experience that we can provide them while they're here. They're, they're not allowed to even just like observe. They can observe and there's a certain amount, you know, clearly that you can learn from observation. And uh, so they can come to clinic and, and see what we're doing in clinic. They can actually observe in the operating room and see what we're doing there, but they, they can't touch a patient. They cannot be involved, you know, with an operation. Now, now we have found some, you know, we work around that. Uh, when we go to Ghana, we're able to interact with the trainees and, and younger faculty and senior faculty there and, and, and jointly work uh, to provide patient care so that that's you know one way around but but that's all done in ghana we you know not done here we've also tried to be uh, thoughtful about how we schedule visits for ghanaians so that for example we might be running a dissection course or a simulation course where there is hands-on training not on living patients which is not allowed but but in a simulation kind of center so that they can at least um, have an opportunity to kind of um, apply, you know, whatever they're seeing us do or some of the skills that we're, that we're teaching. When you go to Ghana, what do you typically do? Like, what does a typical day or week look like? You know, a typical visit, you know, would be a mixture of uh, patient care, education, and then also kind of working on the various sort of programs that we're trying to help support. So, we don't go there to solely provide care on our own. So it's not what a lot of people might think about a typical kind of medical mission where, you know, you go and you screen a few hundred patients the first day and then you try to operate. That's, that's typically how surgical missions work. What we plan, and this is really helped by our Ghanaian partners, is to try to have 
uh, say a normal number of operative cases, you know, that they might take care of, um, but that perhaps have some uh, particular relevance to uh, an area of medicine that, that they may be trying to learn some techniques that we might be using or fine tune uh, their techniques. So, you know, when I'm in the operating room or Dr. Moyer's in the operating room or any of my other partners are in the operating room there, uh, we are always working with Ghanaian uh, trainees and Ghanaian faculty. We're there to try to, in a sense, expand the scope of care that can be given and share both ways back and forth, you know, ideas about surgical management or, or, or well, in the clinic, medical management, in the operating room, surgical management. So there's things I can learn, you know, from what they are doing, but hopefully there's also some things that they learn from us. And um, we do have a broader scope for practice, but most of that is just related to the type of support we have here that allows us to do some cases that would be difficult to do in Ghana, to most not because of the skill of the surgeons, but related to equipment or support around the care of those patients. So we, we also go to the clinic and there again, you know, we may be asked to see patients that have a particularly kind of complex problem or something where our colleagues in Ghana think that we may have a perspective that would be helpful in kind of managing managing that patient. And in all of those situations, we, we include trainees um, as, as many as we can. So, you know, that's sort of the clinical part. And that may take up, depending on other things we're trying to achieve, you know, somewhere around half of the time we're there to maybe more, 80%. Um, we always provide some lectures while we're there and have some opportunity to kind of discuss cases and things. So that's the educational kind of piece. And then there's also often a program kind of uh, building piece so there are individuals within the otolaryngology department, but certainly outside, you know, hospital administrators, um, researchers, uh, leaders, you know, at the medical school and the dental school that we meet with to talk about, again, sort of capacity building uh, in, a, in a variety of ways. And, and sort of the final thing that's coming to mind right now, although I know there's probably a lot more, is, um, is often some academic pursuits. So uh, we, we've run... Uh, when I say we, really, it's it's work that's been that the Ghanaians have been interested in that we've helped kind of get going uh, related to sort of understanding some aspect of otolaryngology related disease in Ghana. So, for example, there was a, a small study that was done looking at hearing loss in school age children, and so you know we helped provide some resources and uh, to to make to help that study go ahead. It was led by one of the Ghanaian faculty. Um, we're currently, for example, doing a study looking at uh, the prevalence of, um, of sleep disordered breathing in, in Ghana. And so, you know, we, we commit a variable amount of time to, to uh, working with the individuals that are leading those projects. Yeah. Teaching, teaching someone how to fish kind of, kind of philosophy, right? Yeah. Um, but again, I think the other thing is that, you know, in this case, the, the fisherman also teaches us, right? We might right. teach the fisherman how to catch fish. And that seems very one sided. But but the reality is there's a tremendous amount that we can learn, um, you know, in the other way. So, you know, the way um, sometimes that's not so specific to a procedure, but but might be more specific to actually how we manage health care mm. or how we manage a set mm. of conditions because you know remembering that the resources that are available in Ghana are different than they are here. 
And so, you know, things by necessity need to be done differently. And that doesn't mean, uh, you know, not well, it it means differently. So there's things we can learn, perhaps about how they allocate resources and, and how they make decisions about you know, what type of testing is, is might be required, for example, or what type of treatment might be given that, that we can actually learn and, and apply here. And, you know, one of the things that, that, you know, we have done is also created an opportunity for our residents to go and, and spend time in Ghana uh, as if they were Ghanaian residents. So they don't, they don't go there with me or Dr. Moore or with one of my other partners and, work with us and kind of see Western medicine being done in Ghana. The goal is for them to go and see how our patients managed in Ghana and to learn from that. I mean, they also teach while they're there, um, you know, and, and, and uh, teach the faculty and the residents kind of what they know and how they're approaching problems and, and things here. But at the same time, you know, they're really experiencing medicine delivered in quite a different way. Before we mentioned, you mentioned kind of, pre-COVID, post-COVID, that's kind of the world we live in right now. Like, all right, that's how we kind of measure time anymore is, was it pre-COVID or post-COVID? So what would you say some of the biggest differences or challenges since COVID? Well, I think um, some of them are great differences in, in a way, right? The In those couple of years, while we we were really only communicating, you know, through email or WhatsApp and things, um, obviously, you know, things continue to change there just like they do here. And so, you know, in, in some areas, they kind of jumped ahead, which has been great. But, it, you know, we're, we're kind of trying to catch up with where they actually are. So that's been really good. Right. So, for example, in Cath, where we go, there is now a head and neck fellowship that was not available uh, when we were there before COVID. So, you know, we need to adapt right um, to that and adjust to that. Uh, and figure out how, again, the, the two teams can kind of, you know, can work together, right, to really support that head and neck fellowship. Um, then, then there have been some things, of course, that have suffered. You know, some of the relationships that we developed actually, you know, one one member of the of the Ghanaian kind of ENT group has essentially retired. You know, so this was somebody we knew well and we're working with, right? Another one has left to take a job in the Ministry of Health. So, you know, that happened during COVID and, and, you know, much as we might like to think we can develop the same relationships, you know, through Zoom, through phone calls, through yeah. it, it is, I personally feel and experience, so, but it's just a personal experience, right? It's not quite the same as if you've actually sat down and worked with somebody, seen some patients with somebody, had a conversation over dinner. And so there's, you know, that's probably the biggest thing in a, in a sense, not really an impediment, but it's, it's requiring us to kind of to put some effort and energy into sort of re-establishing or in some cases creating sort of in a sense a new uh, partnership with some of the other individuals, you know, that are there. And, but but functionally, things are still very good, right? We, we have a great relationship that I think is built on, a, on uh, you know, mutual respect, trust, but also a recognition that we can learn from each other. Sounds a little bit similar to kind of what we experience here too, right? You know, Absolutely. Right? I, yeah, yeah, I would say almost the same, right? You know, where we were disconnected, we yeah. had people join our department and join Michigan Medicine, but but definitely you're right. It's it's not really any different than some of the challenges we've kind of had here with with those changes and, and a lot of remote work. Have you been back since, quote unquote, post-COVID? Um, I know we're yeah. not 
post-COVID. Yeah, but... we have. We've, we've um, you know, we, we've been able to make a couple of trips there. And um, so we're sort of starting, or I don't know if starting is right, we're, we're getting back on track with the, with, you know, that the exchange kind of part. Um, and I have the first Ghanaian visiting here, at least, I mean, there've been others, but in the Odo kind of side of world, he was actually planned to come and visit us pre-COVID. He was a resident then, and then COVID came up and, you know, everything stopped. So he's now actually a, a junior faculty member, but, you know, is, is finally able to to come and spend, you know, a month with us. So that's been really good. But yeah, we've, we've been back a couple of times now. And, um, and so... I think there has been some value on both sides for us to, you know, to start to be able to travel back and forth again. When you're not doing, you know, teaching, what what else do you like to do while you're in Ghana, say, just for to learn more about the culture or just to experience the... Yeah, so we, we, I mean, a lot of it when we're there, maybe somewhat sadly, but perhaps appropriately, is we're working. You know, we, yeah. we go there to to really contribute and do something, you know, but we have done some other things. So even when we're there and we're working, you know, we, we have the opportunity, right, to, to uh, go out and sort of visit the local community. Our, our colleagues there have been very generous and in, in sometimes inviting us to dinner at their houses and things. So you get a sense of what uh, the culture, how people live, you know, which is really fabulous. We have taken the opportunity to travel um, as well to the Gold Coast, as they call it, which it has a very sad history, which we're all hopefully very aware of. But Ghana was, you know, sort of the main point or main place from which the slave trade operated. You know, I, th- I think it would be difficult and probably inappropriate perhaps to, to visit and not really try to understand a little bit better that history and the impact it's had. We always encourage our residents to at least learn something about that and, and try to you know gain something from that. It's I wouldn't say it's a highlight of the in any sense. Right. Because it's uh, in many ways, if you're a thoughtful person, it's very depressing. It also doesn't make sense to to, um, you know, to hide from that history. Right. There's no way for us to to learn from it if we're not willing to really see if you have the opportunity yourself. Yeah. So, so we've done, we've done that. We haven't really traveled much again, perhaps somewhat sadly it sounds, but, but uh, otherwise um, we have taken the opportunity to visit some colleagues uh, both in the North of the country in Tamale. And so we visited there a couple of times and have worked with their trainees and their faculty and they're hoping at some point maybe to expand our efforts, but that, that, you know, that's something that, that we would need uh, more people involved with to do. And then, there's also a large teaching hospital in the capital city in Accra, and we visited there a couple of times um, as well and sort of got a sense for what a, a large uh, city in um, in Africa uh, other than Kamasi is like. But again, we're only seeing Ghana, so you know things are different everywhere. But but that's uh, also been very interesting to um, just kind of experience a really big city. Just out of curiosity, how long does it take to get there from here? Yeah, it's actually pretty easy, easy to do. Um, you know, you can, there's two main ways to go. We will often fly to New York, which is a short flight from, from Michigan. And then it's about an 11 hour flight direct to Accra. Or you can kind of do what 
works out to maybe sort of more like two seven hour or eight hour fights sort of to Amsterdam and then from there now. Um, and then to get to Kamasi where we work, um, you then have to take another flight uh, or you can drive, you know, from Accra. What would you say overall is your favorite thing about going or the thing that you enjoy most? Yeah, gosh. I mean, it's not an easy question to answer because there is so much that is really wonderful about being able to go uh, to another country and work with the most amazing people and take care of patients. You know, so, I mean, I've sort of given the answer there, but but in a way I'm cheating because I'm saying two things, you know, I'm saying going and working with just wonderful people and getting to know them and, you know, a whole new set of kind of friends and colleagues that, that has been, you know, a wonderful privilege, right. That not many people get, I, I don't think. Um, and learning from them, you know, so much about myself and, and which has been tremendous. But at the same time, you know, the chance to, to help a few uh, additional people, right, that I would never, ever be able to help if it wasn't for the generosity of my colleagues in Ghana who let me come and, and be part of, you know, their the treatment teams that they have there. So that's, you know, I mean, that's what really drives me here in a large part, right? So it's not surprising, probably, that that's the the, you know, the big thing there, but yeah, just, you know, really the people, I guess, so you could put it, if you're going to put it onto one thing, chance to meet some different people and, and to get to know them has been, you know, tremendously rewarding. And I'm, everybody will say this, but I, I really do mean it. I mean, I'm very confident that it's made me a much better person and I probably gained far more from those experiences than, than, than they have. But on the other hand, it's, it's up to those individuals too, to judge the reverse, right? How much are they getting from it, but I feel very lucky to have been able to have these experiences and um, and to learn so much about about you know myself and others uh, from it. Yeah, it sounds like a a great opportunity, not only to be able to you know expand your knowledge, share knowledge, but get to know others, get to know other cultures, um, and bring that into the fold of you know your life and and how yeah. you move in the world. So it's interesting because. When I'm there, it feels a little bit like a vacation, but at the same time, we work really hard. And, you know, you always wonder, like, how, how is that possible? And in, in some ways, I mean, you know, it, it doesn't seem like it should be. But again, I think it's because we're doing something that seems really meaningful. We have a lot of people around us that are appreciative, but at the, but at the same time, you know, that we learn something really, uh, you know, we learn things from them. So it's like, it's, it's almost if you could have your family there, which which we can't, you know, it'd almost be like the perfect way to have a vacation, right, where you feel like you're doing something really valuable. You know, you're meeting, you know, great people and, and gr- developing great friendships and actually really learning something probably more than you ever could on a vacation. Um, but at the same time, you're accomplishing something like you're 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 really getting something. It feels like valuable, you know, valuable done. Okay, to get to know a little bit more about you, I have some fun short answer questions. Before I get to those, though, I'd like to ask about people's names and if there's a story or a specific reason why you were given the name you have. A little bit of a story. I mean, the um, in my family, at least what I know of it, you know, the boys 
which may seem a little unfair, but the boys have typically had three first names. My, my name is Mark Edward Phillip. And so the middle names you know, have typically been chosen from sort of family names, you know, usually uncles or great uncles or something like that, or grandparents. Um, but yeah, so there, you know, it's kind of a, an interesting thing, whereas the girls in my family tend to only have, well, they only have two names, which seems a little bit, maybe not fair, but <laughs> that's, yeah, so there, there's sort of a bit of a naming thing. And I, I think that's one of the things I love about names, right, is that many, for most people, if you ask them, there is actually a story around their name, you know, and it, and it might be a story just about how their parents or whoever it is that's raising them, right, thought about names. But sometimes there's a a long, a long history. And, and my family kind of has a bit of a history around naming. Interestingly, get back to Ghana, they also have interesting naming um, sequences in there. So for example, for the boys, they all, you get a name, one of your names is based on the day of the week that you were born. So for example, my Ghanaian name, part of it is Kwame, which means born on Saturday. So, but anyway, yeah, we could talk a lot about names. I'm actually quite fascinated um, by them, but yeah. Um, So you mentioned you have one brother. Is that the only sibling you have? I have two sisters as well. Okay. Uh, Do you consider yourself to be an early bird or a night owl? I would definitely say early bird. Do you hit the snooze button or do you get up right away? No, I'm pretty good about getting up promptly. In fact, I usually wake up uh, before the alarm ever goes off and I, you know, (laughs) And, and unfortunately, that also happens on the weekends. So, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> excuse me. Do you collect anything? Um, yeah, and I guess. And, uh, you know, it, it depends what you mean by collect. So I do have a stamp collection, which I started when I was very young, but I haven't been very active in that at all uh, in the last number of years, although I still still have it. So that would be kind of a very traditional collection type thing, I guess. Uh, although now I think it's gone out of favor. Nobody's mailing anything anyway but uh, uh roller coasters yeah your name uh when i was younger yes i'd say <laughs> now no <laughs> fair enough and then lastly uh is a hot dog a sandwich gosh i i think yes um <laughs> that's a tough question i don't know i guess i would say i don't know a hot dog is a hot dog it's kind of a standalone thing but technically it's, uh, you know, it's a hot dog between sort of two pieces of bread. I don't know. I guess maybe it's a sandwich. <laughs> I've gotten all sorts <laughs> of uh, answers to that. And yeah, and everybody um, kind of has their own spin on it. Like w- what they kind of hone in on, like what the definition of a sandwich is, you know, yeah. is, it, is it the bread? Is it the meat? Is it between right. the fact that it's between two pieces of something? Yeah. So. <laughs> Thank you to Dr. Prince for joining me on this episode. Be sure to check out next month to find out who we get to know next. <laughs>